0: Welcome back, Hemming Brainiacs, to the Hemming Brainiac List podcast. The podcast where we do things awesomely. i got my toes... toes on my nice... uh, there's a nice rug under my desk. It's been here this whole time. But tonight is the first night where I don't have to wear socks, because it's not freezing for once. This morning was the first morning in, I'm going to say five months where i didn't where the first thing i did wasn't turn the heater on uh i got up and walked out into my kitchen and didn't reach for the heater and i thought i nearly did and then i thought wait a minute i'm not freezing and it was such a foreign feeling melbourne has sucked melbourne has sucked for i think five months i think every day for five months i've had the heater on From the time I woke up until the time I went to bed. Um, And today I didn't have to. And God, that feels good. It's spring here, by the way. Uh, It's just gone spring. We're a week in. And we've had a few nice days. Uh, But last night was the first nice night, I think. You know, where it actually didn't drop to, you know, three degrees overnight or five degrees or whatever. So... God, it has an effect on your mood, doesn't it? Really does. I've just done this. is maybe related, maybe not. I've just done a one thousand one hundred calorie session on my elliptical machine. One thousand one hundred calories took me about uh, eighty minutes. And let me tell you, if you that's a that's a high rate of calories. If you're going to do one thousand one hundred calories in eighty minutes, you are going to be sweating the whole time. I think within five minutes, I was dripping sweat. And by the end of it, well, by by the 30-minute mark, I looked like a, a wet fish. <laughs> My t-shirt was, you could wring it out. There was no dry spot left on the t-shirt. My um, shoes were probably puddles of sweat by then. Anyway, I've just done that. 1,100 calories feels good. Been kind of ramping up to that over the last few days. You know, did a 200-calorie workout, then a 400 500, getting back in the swing of things Ah, Feels good, feels good It was one and a half episodes of The Boys Which is um, very good Very good show uh, Alright, anyway, that's what I'm up to There's my isolation diary update I haven't done an isolation diary update for a couple of weeks But uh, what are we at now? Well, how long have I been in isolation for? Or in lockdown for since like March or something? February, late February, was it? I think it was right at the end of February when I started like, sort of doing lockdown. That is a long time to sit around at home. Um, all right. What was I doing? Oh, yeah, a podcast <laughs> of Human Bondage, Chapter 24. Can anyone recap uh, for this chapter? And what did Wagner do exactly? A big mention of Wagner in this chapter Acoustic eels said TLDR podcast digest version oh okay Ah, you've done two Acoustic Eels you have gone above and beyond you've done a recap which is lengthy the recap is about as long as the chapter was and you've also done a TLDR version of the recap which one do I read though because this this long one actually looks quite interesting I'll start with the TLDR one. Let's see how we go. Wagner, pronounced Wagner, okay, fair enough. Ah, oh, what is with me and names? And Siegfried, pronounced Siegfried, lasts five to six hours and is part of the larger Ring Cycle, a set of four operas lasting 15 to 17 hours, meant to be performed over four nights. It's basically Lord of the Rings, but opera. Everything about his music is massive. He used a musical language which was unheard of at the time, setting the stage for atonality, which is music that's not in, in any key. <clears throat> Excuse me, Professor Erlin doesn't hear any melody because of his atonal writing style. He laughs because he thinks the whole spectacle is ridiculous, a five-hour-long opera without any regular melodies, and he thinks everyone will wise up to the hoax by 1900. His prediction is sort of right. Wagner was also a pretty big anti-semite, so that's another reason we don't perform his stuff anymore. Uh, yeah, I remember um is it it's a Curb Your enthusiasm episode or is it a Woody Allen? I think it's Kirby enthusiasm when he's humming Wagner and um someone accuses him of being anti-semitic because he's humming a, a Wagner a Wagner piece. Uh, Ander, you will appreciate this. That's me. I was reading about it and found that the Australian premiere of the work, all four of them in four days, was given in Melbourne in 1913. They actually did the whole cycle twice while they were there. Very cool. Melbourne had a big, um, a big opera uh, presence in the early 1900s. We had Dame Dame Nellie Melba, uh, actually from my hometown of Lilliput. Uh, who was a very famous opera singer in about, I think in about 19... F- nah, the mid-1915 sort of era, um, or early 1920s maybe even. There's an actually an episode of Downton Abbey uh, where Dame Nellie Melba comes to the Abbey to perform, uh, which is really cool because, you know, she's from about, well, about 100 metres from my house there's a museum Uh, as a theatre, where she used to perform, uh, an old theatre, and now it's a museum there as well, and upstairs there's a kind of a spot with all her old artefacts in it. One of the things in there is a uh, Louis Vuitton hat case, her Louis Vuitton hat case from the early 1900s. Anyway, she's probably the most famous person to ever come from my town, and there's an episode with her in it, I was really excited to see her, and then maybe the most heinous thing that happens in that whole series happens during her performance, so it's kind of uh, overshadowed by this tragedy that happens, um, which was a bit of a shame, but anyway, I just remembered something. I'll be right back. Talk amongst yourselves. Oh yeah. Sorry, I forgot that I made myself a whiskey highball. Uh, Which is a whiskey and soda and ice. Um, Which is a drink that I fell in love with living in Tokyo back in 2009. I made myself one right before the podcast. I left it on the kitchen bench. Cheers. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a whiskey highball. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. That is the taste of very, very hot and humid summer nights in Tokyo. Downing whiskey highball after whiskey highball. Um, Okay, I'm going to read the extended version as well. Okay, because I'm I'm interested in this Wagner thing. Let's learn a bit of history. Finally, this is um, a continuation of Acoustic Eels' comment. Finally, my music major comes in handy. Wagner is a big deal in music history because he basically broke opera. The runtime is longer, the orchestra is bigger, the vocal parts are more taxing, and the music is more complicated than ever before. His most famous achievement was a set of four operas called The Ring Cycle. Siegfried, the one Professor Erlin is ranting about, is the third. It's about mortals, gods, and other mythical creature, excuse me, <coughs> creatures fighting over a ring that gives the wearer the power to rule the world. Think Lord of the Rings, extended extended edition. 60 years before Tolkien, and sung the whole way through. The combined runtime for all four is up to 17 hours in its original form. One opera is performed per night over four consecutive nights. It took him 26 years to write, and while normally someone other than the composer writes the words to an opera, he wrote both the words and the music. Suffice it to say that opera companies almost never do the whole shebang due to the cost. Even Doing one of the four operas alone is uncommon, and while students training to be opera singers regularly sing single arias from other operas by Mozart or Donizetti, they generally don't even touch Wagner until they're a mature singer in their thirties. Without going too deep into music theory, which I definitely could, Wagner almost also broke tonality as we knew it. Tonality is the idea that the music is in a key at all, for example C major, and that harmony should happen in a specific order. C A minor F G C in Wagner's music, harmonies move in unexpected ways, and sometimes it's impossible to even identify exactly what the harmony is. Google the Tristan chord if you're curious. This is probably why Professor Erlin said there's no malady in the whole piece when maladies do not conform to our expectations of how they should sound, we do not perceive them as maladies. The fact is, Wagner was known for using a plethora of maladies. Each assigned to a specific character or idea. In this way, he could tell the story using only the music. You can hear the same concept used by Howard Shaw in his score for Lord of the Rings or by John Williams in Star Wars. Another reason people don't do his music much now is that he is what we call problematic. He had some writings towards the end of his life that were anti-Semitic and some that were considered to be racist. He was a favourite composer of Hitler. They weren't alive at the same time. We found Wagner's music to be an idealised expression of the Germanness that Hitler sought. In one of Woody Allen's movies, his character says, I can't listen to that much Wagner, you know. I start to get the urge to conquer Poland. So when Erlin said, before the 19th century is out, Wagner will be as dead as mutton, he was sort of right. Very, very cool. Wow. Ah, uh, acoustic eels. Hell of a job on that recap. Hell of a job. This is what I love about the Hemingway List community. I asked for a little context, and now I know absolutely everything. (laughs) Um, No, thank you. Really, really thank you. That was awesome. Do we even bother with some other recaps? Because I can see there's some more recaps in the chat. Let's do a couple more. I am Norwegian said this. The dad has a point. A doll's house is incredibly boring. Best I could gather, he's basically going on about the decline of popular culture. Wow. One dad per generation, you know. <laughs> it's just the generational thing. Um, I mean, sorry, one a da- dads will complain about the decline of popul- popular culture every generation. It's like clockwork. <clears throat> Get off my lawn. Recap says sour patch and popcorn. Professor Erlen is giving Philip reading assignments to include a translation of Shakespeare into German by Go, Go- uh, Goethe. <laughs> I had to look at the notepad where I wrote down how to say that name yesterday. Thank God for Goethe, who is so much better than the crap they're putting out these days by Wagner, Wagner, sorry, and Ibsen, pure trash according to Erlen. J.P. Guthrie said, if you have a spare hour and a half, there is a great documentary by Stephen Fry on Wagner. I am actually interested in that. I might watch it. Strangely relevant to the themes in this book, a nice bit of dramatic irony by <clears throat> the author who shall not be named, perhaps. J.P. Guthrie, that's a strike against your name, but you've used the name that shall not be named. Can we hate the bigotry but love the music? Yeah, absolutely. I am always separate the artist from the art. You know, um, there's too many good Woody Adam Allen films for me to not watch any Woody Allen films. Uh, and whatever he might have done in his private life, which I do not condone, I do admire his work ethic. That man has made a film per year for about 60 years. Uh, it's admirable by any standard. Entropa said, My attempt at a recap. Philip is taught German daily by Professor Erlin, in whose house he lives. Professor intends to conclude Philip's study with Faust and Goethe. Professor Erlin regards Goethe as something as a keeper of good old-fashioned art and culture. This is in contrast to Ibsen, who plays a doll's house he regards as immoral, and Wagner, whom he considers a charlatan, who is successfully hoodwinking opera-goers, of the time into thinking he is a great composer. That's basically it. There's more the author wrote about Goethe, but it would be difficult to explain without a short history lesson. I like to think... uh, Sorry, I like this as a takeaway from this chapter. But one mark of a writer's greatness is that different minds can find in him different inspirations. Okie dokie. There we go. That's the pod... That's not the podcast finished. Sorry, that's the discussion part of the podcast finished. Now we're going to read... Chapter 25. It's a fairly short chapter, too, which is good because that was a fairly long discussion. Here we go. The oddest of Philip's masters was his teacher of French. Monsieur Ducroz was a citizen of Geneva. He was a tall old man with a sallow skin and hollow cheeks. His grey hair was thin and long. He wore shabby black clothes with holes at the elbows of his coat and frayed trousers. His linen was very dirty. Philip had never seen him in a clean collar. He was a man of few words who gave his lesson conscientiously, but without enthusiasm, arriving as the clock struck and leaving on the minute. His charges were very small, he was taciturn, and what Philip learned about him he learned from others. It appeared that he had fought with Garibaldi against the Pope, but had left Italy in disgust when it was clear that all his efforts for freedom by which he meant the establishment of a republic, tended to no more than an exchange of yokes. He had been expelled from Geneva, for it was not known what political offences. Philip looked upon him with puzzled surprise, for he was very unlike his idea of the revolutionary. He spoke in a low voice and was extraordinarily polite. He never sat down till he was asked to, and when on rare occasions he met Philip in the street took off his hat with an elaborate gesture. He never laughed, he never even smiled. A more complete imagination than Philip's might have pictured a youth of pl- splendid hope, for he must have been entering upon manhood in 1848 when kings, remembering their brother of France, went about with an uneasy crick in their necks, and perhaps that passion for liberty, which passed through Europe sweeping before it what an absolutism and tyranny had reared its ugly head during the reaction from the revolution of 1789, filled no breast with a hotter fire. One might fancy him passionate with theories of human equality and human rights, discussing, arguing, fighting behind barricades in Paris, flying before the Austrian cavalry in Milan, imprisoned here, exiled from there, hoping on and upborne ever with the word which seemed so magical, the word liberty, till at last, broken with disease and starvation, old, without means to keep body and soul together, but such lessons as he could pick up from poor students, he found himself in that little neat town under the heel of a personal ty- tyranny greater than any in Europe. Perhaps his taciturnity had a contempt for the human race which had abandoned the great dreams of his youth and now wallowed in sluggish ease. Or perhaps these thirsty years of revolution had taught him that men are unfit for liberty, and he thought that he had spent his life in the pursuit of that which was not worth the finding. Or maybe he was tired out and waited only with indifference for the release of death. One day, Philip, with the bluntness of his age, asked him if it was true he had been with Garibaldi. The old man did not seem to attach any importance to the question. He answered quite quietly in a low, in as low a voice as usual, Oui, monsieur. They say you are in the commune, do they? Shall we get on with our work? He held the book open, and Philip, intimidated, began to translate the passage he had prepared. One day, Monsieur Ducroz seemed to be in great pain. He had been scarcely able to drag himself up the many stairs to Philip's room, and when he arrived, sat down heavily, his sallow face drawn with beads of sweat on his forehead, trying to recover himself. "'I'm afraid you're ill,' said Philip. "'It's of no consequence.' but philip saw that he was suffering and at the end of the hour asked whether he would not prefer to give no more lessons till he was better no said the old man in his even low voice i prefer to go on while i am able philip morbidly nervous when he had to take when he had to make any reference to money reddened but i won't make any difference but it won't make any difference to you he said i'll pay for the lessons just the same if you wouldn't mind I'd like to give you the money for next week in advance. Monsieur Ducroz charged eighteen pence an hour. Philip took a ten-mark piece out of his pocket and shyly put it on the table. He could not bring himself to offer it as if the old man were a beggar. In that case, I think I won't come again till I'm better. He took the coin, and without anything more than the elaborate bow with which he always took his leave, he went out. Bonjour, Monsieur. Monsieur. Philip was vaguely disappointed. Thinking he had done a generous thing, he had expected that Monsieur Ducroz would overwhelm him with expressions of gratitude. He was taken aback to find that the old teacher accepted the present as though it were his due. He was so young he did not realize how much less is the sense of obligation in those who receive favors than in those who grant them. Monsieur Ducroz appeared again five or six days later. He tottered a little more and was very weak, but seemed to have overcome the severity of the attack. He was no more communicative than he had been before. He remained mysterious, aloof and dirty. He had no reference to his illness till after the lesson, and then, just as he was leaving, at the door which he held open, he paused. He hesitated, as though to speak were difficult. If it hadn't been for the money you gave me, I should have starved. It was all I had to live on. He made his solemn, obsequious bow and went out. Philip felt a little lump in his throat. He seemed to realize in a fashion the hopeless bitterness of the old man's struggle and how hard life was for him when to himself it was so pleasant. Alright, there we go. There's another chapter down. Um, Probably going to need another recap on that one. Might have just been my attention span, but I wouldn't mind a recap. Patreon.com slash The Hemingway List. I should remember to say that if you want to support the podcast. Very much appreciated to those who do throw me a dollar or five every month. You guys are absolute bloody legends um yeah thanks for listening i will see you tomorrow